Good evening, everybody. Great to see you tonight. Welcome to REF. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about tonight because we're, we're continuing our, our series in the Psalms, and we're coming to Psalm 23, which is my favorite chapter of the Bible. So uh, I'm excited for that. We're talking about the Psalms because, uh, as we said all semester, we come to a God who's a God who speaks. He's a God who speaks His Word to us. And we, we talked last week both about how He speaks to us with the glory of His creation and how He speaks to us uh, in His Word. And I know that a bunch of you guys uh, actually went and did a sunrise hike and read Psalm 19. Raise your hand if you did that. That's like, I just think that's, that's like the most encouraging thing that I've heard in a while. So I, that's really cool. Um, we're, we're, coming, we're coming to Psalm 23. And I just want to remind you that one of the things that I'm saying every week is that we're learning how to pray the Psalms. Uh, and I just want to remind you that when I say that, there's no uh, like magic spiritual thing you're supposed to just know how to do. I'm talking about actually reading them as a prayer. I'm talking about actually using those words and speaking them back to God as words that he's given. That's actually what they're for. And so we're going to look at Psalm 23 uh, this morning because um, Psalm 23 is coming out of a place of anxiety. Psalm 23 is coming out of a place of fear. Psalm 23 is coming out of a place of attack. It's coming from a place of longing for God's comfort and God's peace. And so if if you are in a place of anxiety or fear or where you feel like you're under attack from something or from someone, then I, I encourage you to pay attention tonight to Psalm 23 as words to speak that teach us how to long for God's peace and that assure us that he is with us. So let me read Psalm 23. It's printed on your hand. It would be great for you to have this to read along with me. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for warm sunshine and blue skies. Thank you for this community and for the friends we have here. I pray that you would knit us together. And, and Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work right now through your word in our own hearts so that we might love you more and we might love each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things you may not know about these seasons where it's been really cold and it starts to get warm is that it causes the sap to start to flow in sugar maple trees, which means that it is maple syrup season in Virginia. Uh, you've probably had pure maple syrup in your life. You've probably had it from Vermont or New Hampshire. You may not know that. In our very own state, in our very own county, not too far from here, uh, there are farmers who make 
pure maple syrup. I have a good friend, uh, Daniel, who is a farmer who uh, makes maple syrup every year. So here's what you do. You get these sugar maple trees, and he's got a couple hundred sugar maple trees on a farm. And you, uh, you tap them with a spiel, and basically it's this little faucet that you screw in or hammer into a tree. And if you do it at the right time, it'll start to drip. And so he's got hundreds of these on this hillside, and attached to each of these little faucets, these little spiels, are these rubber, these little rubber tubes kind of look like IV tubes. If you ever been puzzled on an IV, how an IV drip looks like that. And they're just sort of snaking in this complex like web down this hill into these collection tanks. And, and I've been there, I've, I've had him you know, open up this tube, and it just looks like clear crystal water flowing out. And, and you can taste it, and it just tastes like sweet water. It's not thick, it's not brown colored, it's not super sweet, it's only about 2% sugar. And so it's, it's collected in these, in these huge bins, and then all you do to make maple syrup, you don't add anything, all you do is boil that, that sap that's run off until you boil off enough water that the sugar concentration rises up. And so it starts at about 2%, and you want to get up to about 67%, so you actually have to boil it down, and you just concentrate it, and concentrate it, and concentrate it, and you boil off all the extra until you're left with this thick, golden, delicious syrup. That's what Psalm 23 is to me. It's like if you were to boil down the Christian life, if you were to concentrate it down, if you were to get rid of all the extra stuff, you would be left with four words. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my you come to these five words. It's like, why are people smiling at me right now? This isn't a joke. Annie's got my back. She wasn't afraid. I appreciate that. that. That's it. That's what's at the center. That's what's at the core. That's like the essence. If you were to, if you were to just take like what's at the, at the extra sweet concentrated part of it all, it's the Lord is my shepherd. That, that we have this God who is not far away. He was not uncaring. He was not harsh. He's actually near. He's actually here with us. He actually cares for us. He actually loves for us. Psalm, Psalm 95 says, He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. The Lord is our shepherd. And Psalm 23 is a, is a picture of a shepherd who is constantly near. He's constantly present. In the, in the first three verses, you've got this shepherd who's interacting with his sheep. He's doing all these things for his sheep. And then in verse 4, you get to this line that I will fear no evil because he is with me. And then it ends in verse 6, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, living with him forever. The pictures of a shepherd who is near, who is always present with us. And so what I want to talk about tonight is three elements of life in the presence of God, our shepherd. That the presence of the shepherd, it fulfills our desires, it takes away our fear, and it abides with us forever. It fulfills our our desires, it takes away our fear, and it abides with us forever. So first, the presence of the shepherd fulfills our desires. Uh, One of the things that, that you acknowledge if you're a Christian, I know not everyone here tonight is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, one of the things you acknowledge is that you have you have desires, you have things that you want that you're not capable of getting by yourself. And the claim of the Bible is that uh, you're actually a a creature of desire. You're actually made for desire. 
but uh, kind of like a sheep, you can't do it on your own. One of the things you have to reckon with, and this can feel a little bit demeaning as you come to something like Psalm 23, is that you're called a sheep here, which is like not the nicest thing to say to someone. And in fact, in our culture, this is a, this is a phrase that's used to criticize religious people, like blind sheep just following along, too dumb to take any notice of what's around them, too dumb to know if the way they're going is right. But, but the claim here is that we're actually a lot like sheep. Sheep have this kind of mob mentality. They just go along with the group, just like us. Sheep are really stubborn. They're really hard to teach, just like us. They're really afraid of lots of things, just like us. They're really timid, just like us. And here's what we read. Here's what the shepherd does for the sheep. Here's the first thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. A sheep actually won't get off its feet unless it feels safe. So if it can sense that there is a predator around or a, or a smell it, it can't recognize, if it feels like there's a threat, even if it's distracted, if there's lots of flies buzzing around it, asleep, even if it's tired, uh, won't lay down. And it actually needs a, sh- a shepherd, its shepherd nearby, for it to feel safe enough to lie down, safe enough to rest. This is one of our desires. This is a desire that you know very, very well. The desire for peace and rest. Doesn't that sound nice? Pressure gone. A good night's sleep. Some time where you don't have to keep working. Keep doing, keep achieving. The Bible says you're actually made for that desire. And so the first question we have to say is like, where are we looking for rest? Where are we looking for peace? Are you looking to your resume? Like you can only rest when that thing is complete and perfect and fulfilled enough for the world to see? Are are we looking to Netflix? Like I don't know how to rest, but I know how to zone out for six episodes a night. Are, Are we looking to going out? which you know isn't restful, but it sort of numbs the pain and distracts you from all the things that are exhausting you, like being in the library for 12 hours a day. Where are you looking for rest? The claim of the Bible is that you're made for rest. You're made to long for rest, but it actually only comes when you stick close to the shepherd, when you stick close to God. The second thing he says is that, he says, you lead me beside still waters. One of the problems with sheep is that they don't know where they're going ever they don't have any initiative if a sheep is on a hillside on the other side of the hill is a pond and the sheep is thirsty it won't go over to the pond on the other side of the sheep it'll just stay where it is until it is led there it's thirsty it needs to be satisfied it needs to be filled and it won't go unless the shepherd takes it there and the shepherd is the one who knows what it needs who knows when it needs it and who brings it to this source of life like, this is a desire that we have. We have this thirst for meaning, a, th- a thirst to be filled with purpose, to have our lives make sense and to stand for something, right? So, again, the question is where are you looking for your satisfaction and your fulfillment? We look to things like our GPA, we think that's going to fulfill us. We look to things like sexual and relational exploits to fulfill us. We look to things like the job that we're going to get, the internship we're going to get, as things that are going to 
fulfill us. They're going to finally make us feel like we have everything that we need. And again, the claim of the Bible is that that thirst is God-given to be filled with things that are good. But the only one that can lead you to the true source is the shepherd. It's God. He says, you lead me in paths of righteousness. One of the things that I, I hear students say a lot is that they wish God would just tell them what they're supposed to do. Like, am I supposed to pursue this relationship or not? Am I supposed to apply for this job or not? Am I supposed to choose this major or not? Am I supposed to join this fraternity or sorority or not? Like, we, we have all these decisions all the time. And we just want to know we're on the right path. We just want to know we're going in the right direction. We want some kind of certainty that the way that we're going is good. And the claim of the Bible is that the only way you know you're following the right path is if you're following the shepherd even if you can't see exactly where he's leading you. And one of the things I love most about this is that interjected right before that, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, is this interjection, he restores my soul. This is so beautiful to me. You know, you know what this means? You know what this takes into account? That if you're someone who's trying to follow this shepherd, if you're someone who's trying to follow God, this psalm knows that sometimes you're going to wander away and stray. This psalm knows that sometimes you're going to get lost. This psalm knows that sometimes you're going to stumble, you're going to trip, and you're going to fall. And that's how some of you feel right now. Like, I, I, yeah, I want to follow the shepherd. I want to follow God, but I, I can't, like, find him. I can't find the rest of the sheep. I can't find the rest of the people. I can't find the right way. I've fallen. And the picture that we have, and this is what's described to Jesus in the New Testament, is that he is the God who when he has a lost sheep, he goes after it. He pursues it. He finds it. He picks it up. He carries it back. He pours out grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love on us, even when we stumble and when we stray. For the things that we desire for rest and peace, for purpose and fulfillment, for direction and certainty about our future, those desires that we have that are the center of our life are actually provided for us in in the shepherd when we follow him. So the presence of the shepherd fulfills our desire. Secondly tonight, the presence of the shepherd takes away our, our fear. And this is where he changes tunes. He's been talking about this serene pastoral setting, and then he says this in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Some of you have walked in the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you have been in situations where your own life was something that you were not certain about. Some of you have lost family members to death, parents, grandparents. Some of you have lost friends. Some of you know people right now who have cancer, who have addictions that are destroying them. Some of you know what it's like to be in this valley. And all of you know the despair of darkness. All of you know what it means to fear. And we fear big things and we fear little things. There's things that we all fear. We're, we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid that we're not lovable or that we won't ever be loved. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of missing out and being left out. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being found out that people will actually know what is really true about us that we don't want anyone to see. We're, we're filled with fears. <coughs> 
And God actually knows our fears. He actually knows that we are people who are prone to fear just like sheep. Who are really, really scared all the time. Who will run away when a cat jumps over the fence. God knows that we are afraid. And there's this chorus in the Bible that tells us you don't have to be afraid. In fact, it's one of the things, if you read through the whole Bible, it's one of the things you're actually going to hear over and over and over again. That in Genesis 15, towards the very beginning of the Bible, God says to Abraham, do not fear. Why? I will be with you. Later on, he says to Isaac the same thing in Genesis 26. Fear not, I am with you. In Numbers 24, when the people are in the wilderness, approaching the promised land, being faced by enemies who want to fight them, Moses says, do not fear, for the Lord is with us. David says to his son Solomon, fear not, the Lord will be with you. Isaiah 41, fear not, I am with you. Jeremiah 42, do not fear, what? I am with you. You hear again and again and again this call not to be afraid, and there's the same reason given every time. Not, I'm going to take away all the hard things in your life. Not, you actually have no reason to be afraid. No, in the midst of your fear, I will be with you. So that in Luke 2, when the angels of heaven and the glory of heaven appears to announce the coming of the Savior to be with us, which is to shepherds, by the way, who are watching over their flocks by night, what's the first thing they say? Do not be afraid. A Savior is going to come and be born to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. We don't have to be afraid. And of course, if you know Christ, if you believe what the Bible says, that the love of God has been poured out into your heart, then we can look at what the Apostle John says. He says, perfect love casts out fears. You do not have to be afraid because God is with you. So it means in the midst of your fears, the hope that you have, the comfort that you have, the peace that you have, is because the God of the universe, the God who created the world, the one who has power, is actually with you, is actually near to you, actually cares for you, actually loves you. He's for you in the midst of your fears. The presence of the shepherd takes away our fear because he's with us. And then lastly tonight, the presence of the shepherd abides with us forever. The, the last two verses here, you, you kind of have these, these abundant blessings, provision of God. You prepare a table before me. Where? When everything's awesome? No, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. These pictures of intimacy, feasting, celebration, love, care, protection. And it builds to this last line. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Do you have, ever have days where you don't feel like that's true? Where goodness and mercy hadn't followed you this day? You ever have days like that? I do. Why can this be true? Because the shepherd stays with you on your bad days. He stays with you in the valley. He stays with you in your anxiety. He stays with you in your failures. That's how goodness and mercy can follow you all the days of your life. And then he finishes with this. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That this presence of the shepherd expands. It enlarges to fill up all of eternity. 
And this is how the Bible ends. God with us. Us dwelling in the house of the Lord. Forever. And we know who this shepherd is, of course. This is, this is not a surprise. When you get to the Gospel of John in chapter 10, Jesus explains this passage. John 10 is Jesus' explanation of Psalm 23. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know my sheep by name, he says. That's what's true for us in Christ, that we have a shepherd who speaks to us words of love, who is always with us, caring for us and protecting us. And that that becomes our story for 10,000 years time, 10,000 years in Christ. And it's important to look ahead because there's, there's times that we need to remember that Jesus is with us now. And his love is for us now. And his care is for us now. And there's times that we need to remember that the valley that we're walking in right now is not the end of the story. That life and love with Jesus forever is our story. The claim of the Bible is that in this eternal paradise with Jesus forever, that we won't need the sun anymore because Jesus himself will brighten the day. Jesus is your shepherd. He is your shepherd and he gives you himself. And he says, do you want rest and peace? Take it. You can have it in me. He says, do you want meaning and purpose and fulfillment? Take it. You can have it in me. Do you want certainty and direction for the future? Take it. You can have it. Just follow me. And he, res- he restores your soul. I'm reading The Magician's Nephew with my oldest daughter, Ellie Kate, right now. It's the, chronologically the first of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, uh, although it wasn't published first. And, and the, the Magician's Nephew uh, contains a story about the founding of Narnia. And these children, Diggory and Polly, uh, find themselves kind of accidentally in this empty world, and they are there at hand when Aslan, the great lion, sings Narnia into existence. They're there watching Aslan, the king of Narnia, bring the dawn of the first day to this magical land. And, and Diggory is a boy who has lived his life in the valley of the shadow of death because his mother is sick. And she's been sick for as long as he can remember and he's afraid for her health and afraid for her life all the time. And so as, as he's watching Narnia awaken and be created, and as he's seeing this great lion who has power and authority and this deep magic in his voice, he's thinking, maybe there's something here that can help my mother. Maybe if I just ask the lion, he could give me something to help mother. Uh, unfortunately, he also has a, has a dark part of his own story that actually Diggory is the one through whom evil has come into this land. The Queen Jadis who becomes the White Witch. Spoiler alert. It's actually because of Diggory, because of his stubbornness, because of his pride, because of his obstinance, 
that she has come into Narnia. And so he approaches Aslan eventually, and he's filled with hope, but he's also filled with fear and with shame. And he's looking down on his, at his feet as he approaches Aslan after the world of Narnia has been made. And Aslan is talking to him about how because he's the one who let evil into Narnia, he's going to be the one who has to do something about it. And so he's listening, and he's acquiescing to, to Aslan, and then he kind of eventually just blurts out this stuttering sentence, please, sir, can you give me anything to help mother? Uh, I'm going to read this part to you. So here's how C.S. Lewis describes what happens. <clears throat> Up until then, he, that's Diggory, had been looking at the lion's great front feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for the tawny face was bent down near his own eyes. And wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know. Grief is great. We go through our lives filled with fear. We go through our lives in the valley of darkness. We go through our lives with so much anxiety and stress. Psalm 23 is given to us as something to say when that's where we are. When we are longing for peace, when we are longing for relief, when we are longing for purpose in the midst of our frustrations. And the beauty is that when we come to God and we look on his face, when we pray this psalm, we see the face of a God who was not looking at us with disappointment. We don't see the face of a God who is aloof and distant, but who is nearer than we realize. And whose eyes are filled with tears, that he's sorrier about the pain in our own lives than we are ourselves. A face of love, a face of compassion, a face of kindness that offers us himself and all the peace that comes with him. So when you are in the valley, pray Psalm 23. Read these words to yourself and pray them to God. And encounter the face of Jesus, your shepherd, who loves you and who is with you forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you. You are the good shepherd who's laid down your life for us, your sheep, because you love us. Thank you for the ways that you care for us and lead us and guide us. Lord, I pray that we would seek to find our rest in your presence. I pray that we would seek to find our purpose and fulfillment in life in you. I pray that we would seek to find our direction and our future in you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to pray to you when we stumble and wander because we believe what you promise us, that you will restore our souls in your grace and love. Christ, we pray in your name. Amen.